I had said last Wednesday night that I was teetering on having our youth group in here with us tonight, and then I decided not to. Um, Brother Aaron texted me and said that, um, could we they have youth service? And I said, absolutely. That is in reference to tonight. But he had um, a family situation. As a matter of fact, I understand he's in Virginia tonight. And uh, something has come up. Um, and so he asked if they could be in here tonight. So I want all of our young people to know this wasn't my idea. just want everybody to understand that. I'm not to blame on this one. So, uh, but I'm going to teach a very compelling Bible study tonight, and it'll probably take me two Wednesday nights to get through the whole thing. So if you're here tonight, please make an effort to join us again next Wednesday night. I do want to make some disclaimers, and I'd like for you to listen very carefully. If what I'm about to teach is in your past, if you have asked God to forgive you of it, then it's under the blood. Um, if you need help, get help, no matter what the cost. Pray for forgiveness from God. Pray for forgiveness from your family. Forgive yourself. If what I'm about to teach has been done to you, if someone else has done this to you, then I encourage you to pray that God will give you the power to forgive them. Work hard and learn how to trust again. I'm also tonight, instead of using the word sex over and over and over, I'm going to use the word intimate or intimacy. And um, I, I do that to try to be a little more appropriate. Um, I prefer to be age-relevant here tonight for this material, so if you have younger kids with us in the sanctuary, I'd recommend you move them to more an age-specific age environment. We have kids' church. Uh, we have a wonderful class right across the hall. We have one upstairs. So young folks, welcome. And uh, when I read my text tonight, you'll understand everything I've just said. And some folks may feel like this is not applicable to you. I want to say not yet. It may not have been up till now, but who knows what tomorrow holds. And if it's not applicable to you tomorrow, and I hope it's not, it may impact your family or some good friends or whatever. Nonetheless, I encourage everybody to lend your ear to this material. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, God said as one of the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. If you were driving on a busy highway and saw an off-ramp sign that said, do not enter, see them on the interstate all the time. If you pass a ramp coming into the interstate, if you look back, you'll see signs on both sides of the road that says do not enter and so on. But if you saw that sign, would you resent it or would you appreciate it? <clears throat> that sign is there to keep you from danger. It's a negative command with a positive result. That's the way it is with the Ten Commandments. No matter how you feel about them, they are given not to produce pain, but to provide protection. And when you play by God's rules, you always win in the end. When you play by God's rules, you always win in the end. And everybody say amen. 
Nothing destroys a family faster than adultery. But there's no question that our culture now in America glamorizes, defends, and even promotes it. Katie Roethy of New York Times Magazine said, Women's magazines practically recommend adultery to their readers as a fun and healthy activity. Elle magazine said, an affair, with a sexual, an affair can be a sexual recharging and escape from a worn-out relationship and a way into something better. Harper's Bazaar magazine said, put emphasis on the word bazaar, women's marriages are improved by their affairs because they get their fill of rapture elsewhere. So while we try as Christian people to live a decent, disciplined life, television, movies, magazines propagate the notion that everybody else is having a wild, depraved time while we're hanging around and missing out on it. Notice the screen. The true power of mass media has the power to redefine normal, and to redefine moral. Mass media has the power to do that. The, harm, the harmful uh, behavior that we see glamorized through media not only conveys powerful messages of what's accepted, but also what is expected. The unreal world of media becomes, over time, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Every year on primetime television, there are 65,000 sexual references Seven out of eight of the sexual encounters on TV dramas involve extramarital relationships. Some years ago, a University of Chicago study showed that both sexual satisfaction and frequency is greater among married people. But in Hollywood, the only kind of sex or intimacy that, comes, that seems to be banned is intimacy between husband and wife. So due to the increasingly permissive views towards sex today, over 40% of married women and almost 50% of married men have all had an extramarital affair. And this has a direct effect on how our teenagers, who are not finding an example of faithfulness to follow out of mom and dad, this is the impact that it has. We're reaping that harvest now. One out of five... One out of five North American children have lost their virginity. One out of five North American children have lost their virginity by the age of 13. And these statistics are only slightly lower in the Protestant church world. And I want to say to our young people, since you're here with us tonight, that once you lose it, you can never get it back. And it would be interesting to know how many here tonight are still virgin. Christianity Today found that 23% of its subscribers have committed adultery and 45% have acted inappropriately towards someone of the opposite sex. So Hollywood's glamorous portrayal of adultery is a blatant lie. Adultery causes pain. If you had sat in my office sometimes, you would understand that even better. But adultery causes pain, everyone loses, and everyone is scarred forever. It is the supreme act of selfishness. Adultery is the supreme act of selfishness. Adultery not only violates your marriage vows, it violates the other person, that person that you're married to. 
The English word adultery comes from the same root word as the word adulterate, which means to contaminate or to make impure. The Hebrew phrase also means no apostatizing. To apostatize means to abandon one's principles or promises. So the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment also includes the sexual sins of fornication, which is sex either before marriage or out of marriage, and homosexuality. It includes this in its prohibition. For these also cause us to abandon the principles of godliness and righteousness that is taught by the Word of God. So while we, we will not deal specifically with those two things tonight, the principles taught will apply universally. The Bible said, Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, to mortify. The word mortify means to crush. Crush. You mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. One translation said, don't be controlled by your body. Kill every desire for the wrong kind of sex. Don't be immoral or indecent or have evil thoughts. So many people will attempt to validate adultery with the belief that it is okay for the purpose of a higher cause. People have countless rationales for setting aside the moral implications of their actions, such as, I love my wife and children, and I do not want a divorce, so it's better that I have an affair for the sake of my family. At least I can stay married. My husband or wife is not fulfilling me on an intimate level, so it is okay to find satisfaction with someone else instead of divorcing. People use the rationale, I think my husband is being unfaithful, so there's nothing wrong with me being unfaithful. I guess two wrongs make a right. And then there's the rationale that says, I wasn't looking for an affair. It just happened. People say we're soulmates, the person they're cheating with. We're soulmates and have this chemistry going on. Some say I have needs that my spouse can't fulfill. We'll talk about that later, probably next Wednesday night. I thought I was in love when I married, but this is really the real thing. People say I've been under a lot of stress lately, so I had an affair. People say about the person they're cheating with that he or she really understands me more than my own spouse does. It doesn't matter what rationale you put In that blank, adultery is a sin. It will eventually catch up with you and destroy your life and your home, but most of all, it is a sin that will literally take you to hell, according to the Scripture. So tonight we want to talk about this crucial topic and how to prevent affairs and to protect your marriage, which is what I'd like to call this Bible study tonight, Protect Your Marriage. The Bible said in Hebrews 13 that marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. One translation said, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. So I want to give you some steps tonight on how to affair-proof your marriage. How to affair-proof 
your marriage. Number one, it's imperative. When you get married, you make a commitment. You make a commitment. Some people, and this may shock some of you, and I want you to hear me out tonight before you jump to the proverbial conclusion. Some people are shocked to learn that God is pro-intimacy. God is pro-sex. He is. After all, He created it. But like everything else, if God can create it, man can mess it up. All of God's gifts have limitations on them and must be controlled rather than abused. For example, you can't live without water, but too much of it will drown you. Fire can either warm you or burn you. It's all how you handle it. And God gave us a world filled with beauty, but in many cases man has stripped nature's resources. God gave us an appetite for food, but in many cases people have abused it and suffered dietary problems as a result of it. God also gave us an appetite for sex, but in many cases man has perverted it by ignoring the parameters that God has set for it. So properly controlled and expressed in a marriage between a man and a woman, Intimacy is a wonderful thing, but outside of marriage, it is destructive and detrimental to your spiritual, emotional, and even physical health. And I want to remind everybody that wants to step outside of your marriage and do stuff, and those of you that are not married and want to go do stuff, don't forget about the STD thing. They're running rampant in America. And there's a lot of them that are in existence right now that they don't have a cure for. And some of them, you don't know you've got it until it's too late, especially men. You don't know you have it, and you pass it on to someone else, and you destroy their life. Keep that in mind. But in our sex-saturated society, you don't stand much of a chance of remaining pure unless you make a commitment to live by God's guidelines regarding sex. Regardless of your failures in the past, You need to make a commitment to live by God's standards beginning now. You can't go back and undo the past, but you have everything to do with tomorrow. Intimacy, listen folks, (laughs) intimacy is for marriage only. Not outside of marriage and not before marriage. I sound so old-fashioned and out of touch right now, it's amazing. But I'm sticking with the Bible. Everybody said amen. Amen. If you're not already married, you need to decide right now that you'll only marry another Christian person. That's God's standard for you. The Bible said, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? The Bible said in Psalm 119, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So if you are married... If you are married, you need to decide right now that adultery will never be an option. And I'm going to go ahead and throw the D word in there while I'm at it. I do this in pre-marriage counseling. Divorce and adultery is never an option. Doesn't matter what your spouse does. It doesn't matter what needs they don't meet. Or what happens in your marriage. Being faithful is God's command. 
Being faithful in marriage is not determined by the conduct of your spouse, but it's determined by the Word of God. And if you don't like your spouse right now, don't forget the fact that you're the one that married her. Married him or her. The wise man said in Proverbs 5.15, To drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. One translation said, Be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her alone. So make a commitment. The second thing to do to affair-proof your marriage, the second thing is to magnify the consequences. Magnify the consequences. You need to regularly remind yourself to the devastation and destruction that is caused by sexual sin. Sexual sin leaves permanent scars. They never go away. I'll go on to say that sexual sin of every kind leads permanent scars. You may be in a difficult marriage that is not satisfying and you're struggling and perhaps even looking around. Listen to pastor tonight. Listen, listen, listen. Remember that no matter how high the cost of restoring and maintaining your marriage, the cost of adultery is always higher. It will cost you more to commit adultery than it will to work out your marriage. I've asked folks in times past that's had marital issues, how much is your marriage worth? They say, we can't afford to go see a counselor. Well, how much is your marriage worth to you? You borrow money for a car. You'll borrow money for a boat. Or to add on to your house, whatever. How much is your marriage worth? Would you be willing to even borrow money to go to try to make your marriage more successful? I want to give you six good reasons not to commit adultery. I'm going to go through this real quickly. I'm going to give you six reasons not to do it. Number one, you do incredible damage to your spouse. The Bible said, what? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. One translation said, and don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. So when this happens, you do incredible damage to your spouse. Think about that. You may not like your spouse too much, but do you have to be cruel? Do you have to be so selfish in your thinking that you don't even consider them? I don't care how mad they make you. This is not an acceptable practice, not even once. Number two, you do incredible damage to yourself. The Bible said, Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacks understanding, and he that doeth it destroys his own soul. One translation said, but the man who commits adultery is another fool, for he destroys his own soul. The third thing it does is you do incredible damage to your children. The Bible said in Exodus 34, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. Iniquity is very simply premeditated sin. But visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and fourth generation. So there's kids here tonight. There's kids running around all over our society that's putting up with things in their life, not because of what they did, but because their parents did. 
One translation said, Even so I do not leave sin unpunished, and I will punish the children for the sins of their parents of the third and fourth generation. The fourth thing you do is incredible damage to the church. The Bible said, Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth, leaveneth the whole lump. One translation said, Do you not realize that even if one person is allowed to go on sinning, soon all will be affected so it can do damage to the church? The fifth thing is you do incredible damage to your witness. Nathan said to David in the Old Testament when he committed adultery, How be it? Because by this deed, You have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. One translation said, You've given to the enemies of the Lord great opportunity to despise and blaspheme him. Because you did not represent your witness and your testimony and your lifestyle properly. And then finally, the the last thing you do is you sin against the Lord. Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, you remember she tried to seduce him in Genesis. And he said to her, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So these are some things you need to consider when you meet that sparkly-eyed person that you feel chemistry with and you're all stressed out with your marriage and all that kind of stuff. You're walking into a trap. It's going to be far more damaging than what you ever thought or even imagined. need to keep that in mind. But you know what I'm thankful for? You know what I'm incredibly thankful for? Is I believe when God, was, God is brilliant in his planning. God is brilliant in the ways he deals with men. I believe when people are born again. And you're baptized in water in the name of Jesus and he erases all that past. He can take it all away. He's faithful and just to forgive those that ask him. And it's a sin, certainly, that can be forgiven. So how to affair-proof your marriage? Back to that. Number three is you maximize your marriage. You maximize it. A growing relationship with your spouse will reduce the pull and attraction of adultery. The phrase in the Bible that says, and he knew his wife, that's a biblical euphemism for intimacy. Especially in Genesis 4.1, Adam knew his wife and they bare a son. It's talking about intimacy. A similar meaning is found in the phrase one flesh, where it's used in Matthew 19, verse 6. For intimacy to be all God intended it to be, it must occur in a marriage relationship based on mutual devotion, mutual respect, mutual communication, and absolute loyalty. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. One translation said, A man should fulfill his duty as a husband. A wife should fulfill her duty as a wife. And each should satisfy the other's needs. Each should satisfy the other's needs. Dr. Willard Harley A marriage counselor from Minnesota wrote a book a number of years ago titled His Needs, Her Needs. And throughout the years of his practice, he interviewed thousands of couples and arrived at the top five needs of men and women in a marriage relationship. And we'll put those on the screen. The five needs of men that he determined was, number one, sexual fulfillment. Number two, recreational companionship. 
Number three, an attractive spouse. Number four, domestic support. And number five is admiration. These are needs that typically most men have. But then when you look at the five needs of women, they are, number one, affection. So where men have desire for sexual fulfillment, women have a desire for affection. Where men desire recreational companionship, women have a need to conversate. They love to talk. Wop, 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 wop. And men go to sleep. They go on vacation. In their mind, they go on a fishing trip. And she says, are you listening to me? And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you hope and pray, men, at that moment that she doesn't say what was the last thing I said because you have no clue. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? I've been caught there a time or two. <clears throat> but the five needs of women is affection, conversation. Number three is honesty and openness. It's a huge need of, of the lady folks. They want their husband to be honest and open with them. Number four is financial support. And number five is family commitment. If you were to put these two things side to side, would you see any similarities between the two? The answer is no. Isn't that amazing? That men and women feel like they can't live without each other and they have very little in common when it comes to needs. Isn't that something? I almost think God did that when Adam and Eve sinned. And he just chuckles all the time. Look at him. Look at him down there. They can't figure it out, man. He can't figure her out, and she can't figure him out. And that is so funny. That's just Murphy commentary right there. <clears throat> so is it any wonder why people have so much trouble adjusting in marriage? I love what one comedian said one time. He said, she just wants her space without you in it. And... uh and on and on the, the humor goes when it comes to marriage. We each try to meet the needs we have in another person and end up frustrating them because their needs are completely different, and I can't trumpet that enough. We want our spouse to fulfill our needs, and everything we do for them, most things we do for them, I should say, goes through the conduit of having our own needs fulfilled, when actually the more you fulfill their needs, the more your needs get met in return as the way is typically supposed to work. So the secret to a great marriage is to get serious about learning your spouse's needs and determine that you're going to meet them to the best of your ability, even if they're not the same as your needs, or if you think the needs of your spouse are legitimate or relevant or not, you're still going to do everything you can to meet the needs of your spouse. I'm going to tell you right now, most of the, and I don't do a lot of it anymore, but most of the marriage counseling I've done through the years, this is what comes to the surface. It's always a compatibility issue, mostly, that revolves around the inability for a man and a wife to fulfill each other's needs. And he says, it's her fault. And she says, it's my, I mean, his fault. <laughs> I'll never forget one time, uh, Brother and Sister Young, before they came to Baton Rouge, pastored in Lubbock, Texas. It's been 100 years ago. 
feels like it anyway to me. I don't know about them. but um, And they had a wonderful couple in their church. They had just got married and not been very long, married very long. And the phone rang one night at the young household, and he answered the phone. And it was the husband that said, we have to have some marriage counseling right now. I'm about to divorce this woman. Brother Young said it was very rare, but he brought Sister Young with him that particular night. And so when they got to his church office, the husband and wife got there, and the man sat on, all the way on one end of the couch, and the woman sat all the way on the other end of the couch and kind of had that little angle to their head that I'm not looking that way, and I ain't looking that way. I'm going to turn it just far enough to see the pastor, and that's it. And so Brother Young said, what's the problem? So the man went through some disclaimers. He said, I want you to know that I work very hard for our money. I work a lot of hours, and I do everything I can to build us a nice home, and and, and I realize we don't make quite enough money to have everything we would like to have, but sometimes we'll decide to splurge and whatever. So we agreed that on last night or whatever night it was, we both wanted steak but couldn't afford two. So I went to the store and picked up a nice size steak and I grilled it and I cut it what I thought was in half and she wanted the bigger half and I felt like I was entitled to it. Brother Young said before he could say anything, Sister Young threw her head back and just cackled in laughter. And if anybody knows Brother and Sister Young, you can probably hear that sound in your ear. She laughed and laughed and was essentially saying that was about the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Go home and eat your steak and kiss and make up and be done with it. But it's those kind of things. And as simple and silly and trivial as that is, when you accumulate those things over the years, then absorbing those kind of things becomes more and more difficult. So marital breakups almost always occur when one or both partners lack the skills or the awareness to meet each other's needs. They don't either have the skill to do it or they're not aware enough to do it. I have talked to folks. (laughs) I talked to a, a, a couple one time, and she said, if my husband would just get a job, I could live with him. That's not hard, man. She didn't care where. Just go get a job. He couldn't do it. So they're not married today. Isn't that something? And sometimes we think that meeting the needs of each other as as married couples are just completely out of reach and you just can't do it or whatever. They're usually more simple than what you think. But oftentimes we don't have the skill or the awareness to do that. And I thank God in our modern-day culture that there's so many resources now. Man, there's books, there's counselors, there's even medication. I mean, you put your spouse in a coma. I promise you, you could live with them after that. Uh, But that was a joke, by the way. But we we have all these these needs with with each other, and, and sometimes they're not nearly as difficult to meet as we think they are if we just try a little bit. So... How is it that needs become so powerful and all-consuming? Listen to Pastor tonight. Needs, needs, keeps score 
with relentless precision. Yes, they do. So when you ask your wife for a kiss on the cheek, and she said, I would be happy to. But I remember when you came home from work on May the 3rd at 5.30, and then you came home on, you get what, you get me? Buddy, it's like this, this software that you didn't even know was in the brain of your spouse kicks in. And you get this robotical of every transgression you've ever committed, even before he or she knew you. Your mama told me one time something you did. And so, so it leads us up to this point. Each of us as married people, all people, whether you're married or not, everybody has a love bank containing, five, containing many different accounts. One for each person we know. And each person either makes deposits or withdrawals whenever we interact with him or her. So whenever you're around your spouse, is what I'm using for this tonight. It can apply to any relationship, and I'm using husband and wife right now. But when you're with your spouse for any length of time, they're going to make a deposit into your life or a withdrawal from your life. Pleasurable interactions cause deposits. Painful interactions cause withdrawals. And that's where men and our women said, I'm just fed up with my husband and wife. I, I can't handle them no more. It's because their love bank is, there's been more withdrawal than deposit. So as life goes on, the accounts in your love bank fluctuate with some of your acquaintances building sizable deposits, some re- remaining marginally in the black and some going in the red, the people who cause more pain than pleasure. And this accumulation determines our emotional response to everyone we know, even though we are not actively aware of it. And in marriage, there are two love banks, his and hers. A person's five basic emotional needs that I rehearsed a few moments ago, those five basic emotional needs are so demanding that if any of them, any of them go unmet at home, that spouse becomes vulnerable to the temptation of an affair. That's what the good doctor wrote in his book. That tragic result is almost certain if someone outside the marriage begins to fulfill the need that is not being met within the marriage. I want everybody to listen. I want everybody to listen. And I'm very passionate about what I'm about to say, and it's not in my notes. So I'm going to have to get on and then get off because I'm trying to be very careful here tonight. I've heard, especially lady folks, that have sat down with Sister Murphy and I and said, you know, my husband left me and he cheated on me and he did this or that, and they cry and they weep and said, I did everything possible to meet their needs. Again, you may not have known what the need was or you may not have had the skill to fulfill it. But I want every man to listen to me tonight and in the same context, every woman whether your needs are being met or not by your spouse, that still does not give you a justification to cheat. I want everybody to understand that. Is this weird to you guys tonight that I'm teaching this? I think it is the most relevant material in our society today that you could hear because it's so rampant. And I'm trying to give you methods and means to prevent it. I'm giving you Bible, biblical base for it, etc. So because of a lack of understanding, many couples unknowingly work 
at cross purposes. They're, they are each trying to fulfill the needs he or she feels, not the needs of, that their mate feels. For example, wives often easily shower their husbands with lots of words. Lots of conversation. See, I hear more ladies laughing than I do men. Men deep down inside are terrified to make any kind of expression whatsoever because you've got to go home with that person tonight. But women are laughing about that because they know it's true. Anyway. So wives will shower their husband with lots of words or conversation because they appreciate it and want it so much for themselves. And men just don't talk that much. I know a few. I have a little grandson that's seven. If he doesn't change, his wife's going to be real happy with him because all he does is talk. Wah, 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 wah. But on the other hand, on the other hand, husbands smother their wives with romantic or sexual type advances because that is their most pressing need. Each becomes confused when at best their mate responds only with mild pleasure and at worst becomes irritated. It takes a lot of work to make a marriage truly fulfilling and successful. So many husbands and wives lack self-control, sensitivity, and discipline, and a willingness to be accountable. And oftentimes, as a result, there's marital failure. So the Bible gives some provision for sexual temptation. Is everybody good here tonight? Is everybody on board with me? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop right here. That may make some people happy, and there may be some folks here tonight that are like, keep going, Pastor, please keep going. You just don't know what's going on in my life right now. If the Lord tarries, come back next Wednesday night, and uh, hopefully you'll be happy with our next president. This may not be good material for next Wednesday night. We might have to preach some encouragement and believe in the Word of God and just stand on the promise of the book and so on. But uh, anyway, uh, we'll see. Still pray for our great country. Amen. But um, I'm going to stop right here. Uh, it's 820, and um, I don't really have time to, to, to be able to finish this segment of this study in my time remaining. So, and I'm really feeling bad for a, a lengthy service in our very recent past. So we're just going to stop right here. Is that okay? It's really bothering me. So anyway, was everybody good with the material? I hope you're not offended. Um, hope everybody's good with it. I think it's great material, and I think Pastor did a great job. I'm going to have five myself. You're wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. I was teasing. I was teasing, but anyway, stand with me tonight. Sister Janelle, great to see you. What a pleasant surprise. If you had your famous big giant pan of cornbread with you tonight, with all the stuff in it, we'd just go next door and eat dinner. Oh, this sweet lady can cook. Oh, my. Some crawfish etouffee and whatever else she does. So amazing. But great to see you guys. Thank you all for being here. Good crowd here tonight. Good turnout. I appreciate you being here. Our young folks, it was a pleasure having you guys. Hope you all enjoyed being had. 
and uh, hope you glean some very important information out of this study tonight. Father, we love you. We're grateful for the Word of God. We're thankful that it truly is a lamp to our feet. It tells us where we are. It's a light to our pathway. It tells us where we're going. I pray tonight, God, again, that you would wrap your arms around Grace Church, around every family, every husband, wife, every marriage. Our kids need good, solid moms and dads that are committed to the gospel. And I pray tonight, God, if we have internal issues, we come to you with it. We go get help that, that you would condone to get help and to work our issues out. Help us to learn how to live discipline, to be in control and submitted uh, to the kingdom of God. Pray, God, tonight for those who have suffered this transgression, the pain, the trust that's been broken, the heartache, the heartbreak that it's caused. You still love that person. Yes, you do. And we may have a hard time loving them. We may have a hard time liking them. And we will have a difficult time forgiving them. But to you, it's not a problem. And that's why you're God. And for those that have been injured and wounded by this transgression, the families, the spouse, the kids, the parents, I pray, God, tonight, you're, you're so eloquent in every phase of our life, in every compartment of our life. There's not a part of us that you don't understand. There's not a part of us that you can't minister to. And I pray tonight, God, for those that's been injured by this, those who's been just, has had a real difficult time because their spouse has not been faithful, that you would love that person. Wrap your arms around them. Give them grace to face every day. I pray, God, that you give them the empowerment, the divine empowerment of forgiveness to kind of to help them to trust again. God, only you can do these things, and you will in our lives if we'll let you. I pray that you would talk to us tonight. Keep your hands around us. Keep your arms around our homes and our families. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed in the beautiful name of Jesus.